Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. While you're doing that, I want to say thank you to our musicians, our crew, all our guys. Thank you so much. And, and uh, I love them. I want, I want to say thank you tonight. The, uh, somebody asked me one time, how come y'all put all them outdoor pictures? Is that because you like to think about fishing up there on the thing? We put the outdoor pictures because the Bible says that nature is the first preacher of God. First place you learn about him is not the Bible, it's nature. Because nature declares the glory of God. And we put that up there to remind you what a great artist he is and how great he is and what he can do. And the whole world preaches that he is great if we just stop and listen to it. He speaks in everything. So thank you to the guys that do that and make it a little extra for us. We're going to have a great time tonight. We're going to talk tonight about the God who opens doors. And we're going to talk about open doors tonight. He's going to speak to everybody in here. Everybody in here. If you came to sleep through churches, it's not your night. That is nacho cheese and this ain't your night. All right. Let me read a verse to you in the book. Have you ever heard of the book of Revelation? It's all that crazy stuff about the end of the world happens, isn't it? No, no. Revelation chapter one, verse one says the revelation of what? Not the end of the age, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a book that, what does revelation mean? Show you about him. This is the book where we get the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is where we learn about Jesus. All through this book, you learn about Jesus. And you're going to learn one thing about him tonight that applies to your life. And we want to get this tonight. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this book is not for everybody. A professor one time, a cousin of mine was in a college and a professor was mocking. The Bible said, it just don't make any sense. It's a dumb book. And she answered him, well, you're not his child. It's not for you. It's what you get for reading somebody else's mail. It's not supposed to make sense to you. <laughs> the Bible's a closed book unless the Spirit of God's in you. The Bible won't make a lick of sense unless the Spirit of God's in you. Let's read it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, whom God gave him to show who? This book's not for anybody else. This book is only for the servants of Jesus Christ. This is a book about the revelation of Jesus given to the servants. Y'all got, listen, anytime you read the book of Revelation, don't forget that first sentence. The purpose of this book is to show his servants what he is like, not just what's happening. And I want to show you one of the greatest things I love about Jesus tonight. We get this out of the book of Revelation. It's in chapter three. Just turn one page over there. Chapter three. If you want to really get to know Jesus, what he's like today, read the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. That's chapters two and three where he writes seven letters to seven different churches. And there's no place in the Bible that he reveals himself more than in these seven letters, which take up two chapters. We're going to look at one aspect of one tonight. Revelation chapter three, verse, one, verse seven says this, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now that, this was a single church at that time. Uh, it would be located in the region of Turkey today. This was a church named Philadelphia in a little city named Philadelphia, which many cities were named Philadelphia in that day. Two Greek words, philos, adelphos, brotherly love. That's why we call Philadelphia, PA, the city of brotherly love. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but that's what it's called. And this is to a church named Philadelphia. Now watch what he says. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, he who shuts and no one opens. You need to get verse seven down in your heart. The Bible teaches us that Satan has authority in the earth. Is everybody familiar with that? The Bible teaches that people have authority in the earth. People can mess you around. You can mess you around. 
What does Revelation chapter three, verse seven teach me and you? What does it mean? I've got the key of David. I open and nobody shuts. I shut and nobody opens. Jesus Christ has ultimate authority over your life, over this planet. So though other people, though Satan himself has limited authority, even Jesus said in first John chapter five, the world lies under the control of the evil one. How are you going to argue with that? But who has ultimate authority in people's lives? Jesus holds the key. Now, I want you to get that in your spirit. If, listen, if you ever get Revelation 3, 7 inside of you, you'll never be afraid again. You'll never worry again the rest of your life. You'll go to bed and forget it if he's who he says he is. Now, verse 8 is what we want to look at tonight. Verse 8 says this. I know your works. I have set before you an open door and nobody can shut it. Who's you in that passage? Well, who's the book written to? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to his servants. And he said this, I have set before you and you and you a what? What's open door mean? What's the word open door always mean? Opportunity. Opportunity. Here's a revelation of Jesus Christ you need to get. He has put an opportunity, opportunities in front of every person that belongs to him. I have set before you an open door. Who can mess you around? Read it. I've set before you an open door and what? Nobody can stop what I put in front of you. God have mercy. Our nation is hung up on right now. Everybody's messing me up. What does the Bible say? Jesus Christ puts open doors in front of his people and nobody can close them. Nobody can stop what he's doing in your life. And, and I, want you to, I want you to see your savior from now on like this. He loves me. He died for me. He cares for me. He's my provider. He's my protector. But he has placed some things in front of me. He has put some open doors in front of me. And this is for every single person that you've had, you've had doors and designs put in front of you. And they're open doors and opportunities. And nobody can stop them. Listen, memorize Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, you don't ever receive this victim mentality over your family, your business, your life, your future, your past. You got to believe he set before me open doors. Nobody can close them. And if God is for me, all hell can bring it against me and nobody can stop him. Get this down in our hearts that he really is Lord and he rules in this thing if I'm his. Now, I want to say it again. You means you. And there are two areas from scripture that he puts open doors in front of every person in this room. One is personally, one is with other people. Let me tell you something. He has put an open door in front of every person that belongs to him to an abundant, wonderful life. Everybody, I've set before you open door. Jesus said, I didn't just do it. I came. I have come that you might have an abundant life. Another, manual, another translation reads like this. I've come that you might enjoy life to the fullest. He's put that in front of you. Now listen, open doors are not automatic. If he puts the open door in there, I've still got to walk through it. I still have to make the decisions that cause it to happen. But he has put in front of every person the opportunity for a full, wonderful life. Let me say it, let me say it more than that. Galatians 3 says this, he bled out his life so you could have the greatest life. And he's opened the door for you. You say, you don't know where I came from. You don't believe the Bible. I don't care where you came from. One of my heroes is a guy named Ben Carson. You ever heard of Ben Carson? No daddy, drug infested inner city, no chance, kicked out of school, young black boy, mama doing her best, domestic help trying to raise him. He wouldn't have stood a chance. How did he become the greatest surgeon in the world? 
his mama and Jesus Christ worked on his head together till he got it. I mean, story after story where it wasn't supposed to work, but God reached his hand in and put an open door in front of a young boy that shouldn't have made it. And he became the world-renowned pediatric surgeon that separated uh, Siamese twins joined at the head. Nobody's ever done that before. And, and just a tremendous man of God. How did all that happen? He said, it shouldn't have happened. Don't you understand? I set before you open doors. We got to walk through him, but he puts open doors in front of people. There's opportunities in front of everybody for the greatest life possible. I get through those doors by believing God and making right decisions. I just want you to know this. It's not an if, it's there. I have set before you an open door. You got to get through it and, and to do that for whatever. Also, the Bible teaches this clearly. He has put open doors in front of every human being to be successful. Listen, this religious mentality that we got to suffer and suck eggs and get kicked around till we see Jesus, but we'll have a great life over there. Why did this Bible tell you how to be successful if you're not supposed to be that way? Blessed by God is the man who lives in the word and law of God. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf does not wither, who yields his fruit and everything he does will prosper. He set a wide open door in front of people to be successful in everything you do. I love Joshua chapter one that says, get this word in your mouth that you might make your way successful in everything you do. How many of you want your kids to fail? Why you put that off on him? You want your kids to make it and do well. He has put a door in front of every human being. Every, I don't care what the past is or whatever. But here's the one I want to talk about tonight. There's no other doors. God has put a door in front of every person, every believer to be a world changer. Every person that followed Jesus is called to be a world changer. Now he's, he's going to bless you in your life. You can have an abundant life. But we're, we're on this planet for more than just me, myself, and I. You're put on this planet to be a world changer and he's going to give you opportunities to change people's worlds. If, if we weren't here to change people's worlds, why are we here after we get saved? If we were here just to meet Jesus, the moment we get saved, Scotty would beam us up. I mean, it's like, Lord Jesus, I accept you. Whoop, there he goes. The only reason you're left on this planet is not to eat. We're going to eat in heaven. It's not to rejoice. We're going to rejoice in heaven more than we do here. It's not to smile. We're going to smile bigger up there. What's the only thing you can do here before you get there? Touch people's lives. And you are on this planet to be a world changer. You say, <laughs> me? You'd won, Bubba. <laughs> what does he mean? He puts open doors in front of people to change the world. I'll make an announcement. Every person who follows Jesus, by the way, you don't supposed You don't supposed to. You are not called to sit on the, we're not called to sit on the promises till he gets back. Every person that's called to follow Jesus is called to be a world changer. You want to hear it? You ready? What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 117? Don't look it up. Take my word for it. Y'all trust me that much now. Just look this up sometime. Mark 117. Follow me and I will make you lazy. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You follow me, you will change people's lives. Let that sink in. Every person that follows Jesus will end up changing other people's lives. Every person that follows... Now, fishers of men don't mean you're going to catch them with a rod and reel. It means you're going to redeem their lives. 
Every person that follows Jesus will be a world changer and will affect other people's lives. What did Jesus say happens to people who follow him? Uh, you know how I used to coon hunt when I was young. Once we got one up the tree, we stayed there till we got it down. Tell me what happens to every person that follows Jesus. They change people's lives. And he's going to put doors in front of you that are going to be opened so you can do that. You're going to be given opportunities that are called open doors to change people's life. All right. We come to Jesus, we get a brand new life. This nonsense of say, get, pray my prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. Do I need to say it again? Are y'all ready? Thank you. That's all I needed was one vote. I got one. That's all I needed right there. <laughs> a salvation that can't get the hell out of you in this planet ain't going to get you out of hell in the next one. God, that's good. <laughs> a salvation that can't get heaven into you now. What makes you think it'll get you into heaven later? God, this is such good preaching. Y'all aren't recognizing this. <laughs> Listen, to follow Jesus means a new life. All right, what's that new life? It don't mean you stop smoking and drinking and cussing and smiling. It, it means you, it means you, it begins with a new reason for living. Amen. What's your reason for living? Many people just live for themselves. It's all about me. Some live for money. Some live for sex. Some live for the next buzz. Some live for fun. Some live for, they want to have power and rule over people. To follow Jesus means a new living reason for living. And it boils down to one thing. I now live to help people. It's not about being religious and becoming stuffy. It means your motivation for getting up in the morning becomes, I live to help people. That, that, guess what that's called? Come on, somebody guess. Following Jesus. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? One summation sentence, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 10. He went about doing good, healing all who were attacked by the devil. And when I begin to follow Jesus, I will begin to go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. Our new reason for life is not to become stuffy. It is to get on the move, man. And I wake up every morning to help people. And it doesn't matter whether I'm a preacher or a bus driver. I live to help people. Does anybody here, this was a big deal with Jesus during the day when he was arguing with preachers. Does anybody here remember a parable that Jesus taught on called the Good Samaritan? Does anybody remember that? Okay. What'd y'all have to eat tonight? The Good Samaritan. They're in an argument one day and Jesus said to the ministers, you don't even know what following God means. That went over real good. And one of them said, will you tell us what does it mean? What is the great commandment? Jesus said, I'm going to tell you in a story. There was a man who got beat up. He was thrown in a ditch. Two preachers came and walked right around him. Didn't help him. Y'all remember this? All of a sudden, a Samaritan came who was not a Christian, not a godly man, but he got off his animal. He went to the man. He saw the condition he was in, went to him, poured in oil and wine, bandaged his wounds, picked him up, put him on his animal, took him to an inn, took care of him and paid his bill. And then Jesus said, who was the God follower in that story? And the preachers were busted. God, they were so busted. Because you got to tell the truth in front of Jesus. And Jesus said, who was the God follower in that story? And they said, the one who didn't go to church, the Samaritan. And then what did Jesus say? Go do that. Did he tell that to them boys standing there? Did he say that to all his followers? What's that passage right there? What, is that, what does that teach us right here? To follow God is not about dressing up religious. To follow God means go find people that are hurting and fix them. It means you pour your life into people. That's what following Jesus is. It's not about putting on the right program. Listen to me. It is all about people. It's a new reason for living. 
And that is to live to affect people's lives and to help people. One of these days, we're all going to stand before Jesus. Four of us know that. I'm having to know you're going to croak one day. Your body's going to fall over, but the personality of the you is going to live forever. What's the first thing you do after you die? Somebody know? It is appointed unto man once to die and then, somebody say it, somebody got it. The judgment. Now relax. If, so an open book test, how can you fail it? Here's the book. Open it and you won't, you'll pass. All right. We're going to fall over. We're going to stand in front of Jesus and he's going to say, did you smoke? Gabriel, check his breath. Of course not. Isn't it funny that he's going to ask, he's going to say six things and he tells you the six things he's going to say in Matthew 25, 40. And he's going to say, you danced. I saw, I heard you went dancing. I heard that. Don't, don't ask me how, I just know you did it. What's he going to say? Listen to what he's going to say at the judgment. To every, he's going to say it to everybody. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You got me water. I was a stranger. You reached out and pulled me into your circle. I didn't have clothes. You got me some. I was in prison. You showed up. I was sick. You came and took care of me. And they're going to say, uh, I mean, <laughs> we're glad to be getting into heaven, but I don't recall doing that for you. And he's going to shock people and say, every time you did that to the least of these, that was me. I'm ever think there's some people are not going to get into heaven. Is it because they smoke? No. Is it because they drank it? Drank it? Is it because they cursed it? What's Jesus going to say? I was hungry. You didn't care. I was thirsty. You were too busy going to church. I was a stranger. You were singing us four and no more wouldn't let me in. What does Jesus say? It's all about the way you help and treat people. Just following Jesus boils down to one thing. Heal the world. Help people. Everything we do centers around helping people. So opportunities opportunities are just open doors to help people. Listen, a renewed mind, when I say from now on, I'm going to follow Jesus, which means I'm going to live to help people. Renewed minds put open doors in front of me by God. And he's going to open door. I'm going to put open doors in front of you, in front of every person. And we're going to have opportunities. Now, let me tell you some of the ones he's put in front of me and, and you'll relate to some of these. I've had open doors in front of me ever since I started following Jesus. My great regret in life will be the ones I missed. But praise God, I'm trying to get through as many as I can. You say, that's because you're old. I better be hustling, hadn't I? Let me tell you one of the greatest open doors God ever gave me, one of the greatest opportunities he ever gave me. He gave me an opportunity to raise three children. Everybody gets to raise children. No, they don't. How many of you know that the chance to raise children is an opportunity, it's not a guarantee. It can be screwed up. And man, one of the greatest opportunities God ever gave me was to behold, children are a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127. Kids are not an accident. Even if they're planned, they're still a gift from the Lord. He gave me them to do what? To raise them to be blessed, successful, Jesus-loving youngins. What does the Bible saying? Listen, if I don't care what I build, 3 John 15 says that, 3 John, it's in the neighborhood, drive around. 3 John says this. It's in 3 John, it ain't that big. 3 John, it says this, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. What a joy to be able to love your kids and pour your life into them. What a joy to take that opportunity and raise those kids up to love him. And some of you say, well, my kids hadn't turned out so well. Let me ask you a question. Are they still breathing? The door is still open. You say, they won't talk to me. He'll listen to you. 
and he knows what to do for them. The opportunity to do that. Number two, I've had the opportunity to influence people's lives in my circle. Everybody's got a circle. It could be a family circle, a work circle, a school circle, but every one of us has got a circle of acquaintances around us. Let me ask you a question. You think you put that together? Matthew chapter five says, God placed you in that circle of people for a reason. This is what he said. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel, but he places it on a lampstand. What does that tell me? I am strategically placed where I'm at in this earth by God to do what? What's the next verse say? Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. I have a circle of people around me that I can influence. My family, immediate family, uh, I started saying my distant family. I don't know what you call them. You know, the, them third tier people, whatever you call them out there. The people I work with, the people around me. I've got a chance to impact people's lives. I don't just have to work with them suckers. God put me there to touch their lives. That's what it means. He places them on a lampstand so they can give light to those in the house. Listen, praise God. He's given me an opportunity with everybody around me to affect those people's lives. And you, listen, you too. He's put before you an open door to touch their lives. Number three, I'm going to have a chance in this life and you are too, to affect somebody's life big time. Now, it's one thing for somebody to say, you made my day by calling me. You made my day by sending me that. But I'm going to tell you something. What we want is for people to say, you saved my life. You absolutely turned my life around. They said, Brother Brian, I can't do that. Do I need to go back and start all over again? I will set before you open doors. You are going to be somebody's lifesaver and world changer. You are. You are. You've got a chance to change people's lives absolutely big time. You see, you just don't know who I am. No, you don't know who he is. That's why we're having a revelation tonight. Matter of fact, you say, well, I, I, I can't do much and nothing right. Oh, you're the star. <laughs> Let's look at it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been taught this mess that God uses great people that can speak well and yada yada and all that mess. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You've got to get this verse. Get this down in your heart. Do not let your enemy steal this from you. God picks certain people to affect other people's lives. Who does he pick? Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. You see your calling, brethren, the people that God has called to change the world. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. You see your calling, brethren, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has called the foolish the weak, the rejected, the base, and the despised to change the world. Is that not the history of God in this book? Does he not take the people nobody else thought could amount to anything and use them to change people's lives? Do you think he's changed? This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He loves to use the very last person you would expect to do the biggest things on the planet. God uses, or what does base mean? It says he uses base people. You know what base is? If you go to buy a pickup truck and they got the platinum and the gold and the silver and then they got the one in and got no, you know, you got a roll of windows up and no air conditioning. That's a base model. Tell me what God uses. He uses people with no flash on them. I mean, you got to roll their windows up for them. You understand what I'm saying? God sets great doors in front of the plainest people. 
and you're going to be a world changer. You need to change people's lives. I, I mean, just absolutely change people's lives. And let me tell you what he loves to do. He loves to shock people with this. Do you remember Matthew 14? Maybe you don't. I'm going to tell you. Matthew 14, Jesus standing there. He's got, his, he's got his 12 friends that he chose to change the world. Do we need to discuss the 12 men he chose to change the world? I, that, let me tell you something. After I read them names, I said, there's a place in God's house for me. God loves ignorant, redneck fishermen. Can I get a witness? Whether Simon drove a jacked up Dodge or not, I don't know. But if he's alive today, I know he would. Can I get a witness? Well, Jimmy Hayes won't like that. Anyway. And they're standing there. You got 5,000 hungry men. And then you got these theology school dropouts. And Jesus turned to him and he said, feed them. I love this kind of stuff. Maybe you know feeding 5,000 people is a task. That's verse 16, verse 17. They said, we don't have what it takes. Can I ask you a question? Did they end up doing it? Did God give them an opportunity to minister to 5,000 people? They didn't thought they had what it took, but guess what? When they stepped out through that open door, guess what happened? God made it work. Get it? Get it? God likes to say to people, do something so big you'll laugh when you think about it. And if you'll just walk in there, watch what I'll do. You need, you're going to change people's lives big time. You're going to save people's lives. You need to save. We don't just want to be friendly to people. I mean, that's good. We want to save people's lives. We want to save people's lives. Let me throw in one more. By the way, it's a tremendous joy when somebody walks up to you and says, our family would not have made it if it weren't for you. Every one of you is going to hear that before you get off this planet. Let me throw in one more here. He, uh, He's going to use me and you to partner together to transform lives tremendously. Now, this is one of the things I learned from my dear friend, Dr. J.O. Williams. He wrote a great book called The Power of Partnership, and he was the master on bringing people together to do things that one man couldn't do. Let me tell you something. I cannot get on a plane and go to Africa and save little black kids' lives. I wouldn't know where to land. I wouldn't know what to do when I got there. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any idea between me and you, those of you that go to church here and me, that we've put our offerings in the offering bucket every Sunday? Do you know how many? It's not in the hundreds. It's in the thousands now. Do you know how many thousands of young children are alive today because we partnered together with James Robinson to save their lives and drill them water wells and send food over there? You know how many? You did that. That was an opportunity. That was an open door. God gave a little, a handful of people in, where, where are we at? Is this Hall River, North Carolina, wherever we're at? <laughs> Do you know how many young, Asian, beautiful, little teenage girls? Not, it's not thousands. It's not hundreds. It's in the dozens now. One day it'll be in the hundreds. Dozens of beautiful little young girls are no longer sex slaves because of me and you. That was an opportunity he put in front of us. That, there's nothing I could do that thrills me more than knowing that some little, some little girl is now getting a trade and being loved and cared for and healed instead of molested by some animal. I like that kind of stuff. Listen, he's going to set before us open doors as a group here that none of us by ourselves can accomplish. You're going to do things, but we're going to do things together. That's what it means. I've set before you an open door, just, just an, an open door to transform people's listen it's not because you're great it's not because we're smart it's because God Almighty sets open doors in front of plain people 
This is the revelation of Jesus. He sets open doors in front of people. That's what he does. All right, now listen to me. Every, I'm telling you again, everybody in this room, every person in this room, the creator of this universe is going to put opportunities in front of you to change people's lives. But there are two barriers to these open doors in the Bible. Two barriers to open doors. I want you to look at me in 1 Corinthians 16. Nine. We're pretty close there. Tell me over to 1 Corinthians 16. What always goes with open doors? Anybody know? Well, let's just read it. 1 Corinthians 16. All right, 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 9 says this. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. A great effective door has been opened to me. You got 1 Corinthians 16, 9. A great effective door has been opened to me. Everybody just, just, just look up here and talk to you. Say, y'all talk to yourselves. Like in the car when nobody's in there. At the red lights. I want you to say this. I want you to say this. A great door has been set in front of me. Right there it is. Who put it there? Well, we, we read in Revelation. God put it in front of you. A great effective door has been opened to me. There are many what? Obstacles. Every open door is going to have obstacles. You can't just skate through them. If there's a devil in this earth, there's going to be an obstacle to the open doors God sets in front of you. Listen to this. Who gives a rip? Who cares? You can't let the obstacles stop you from going through the open doors. When you think, I got to raise children in this generation. Remember, there is some obstacles to raising godly children in this generation. Who gives a rip? Get in there. You can do it. And you're going to have obstacles in everything you do. In, in, uh, open to listen. Number one, your enemy is an obstacle. I'm telling you, the, in case you didn't know this, I don't care what people say. Satan is alive and well on planet earth doing his shenanigans. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And he will oppose you in this earth to things you're going to do. All right. People will get in the way. I mean, no folks will get in the way of you. I mean, people can get in the way of what you're trying to do. Sometimes when you're trying to fix somebody, they don't want to be fixed. Fix them anyway. <laughs> in other words, take the time you need to get their hearts right in the matter. And dear ones, hardships will get in the way. You, you can't let... You can't let the junk stop you from doing great things on this planet. Everything great that was ever accomplished had to be done in spite of the obstacles. I'm going to make an announcement. If you got to wait till everything's perfect to do anything, you ain't never going to do nothing. Don't get that recorded. We need to print that. That's good. I have meditated. I love, I love this verse. I chew on it all the time. Ecclesiastes 11.3, let me quote it to you. He who watches the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will never reap. Got it? If you have to wait till it's a perfect day, you'll never accomplish anything. If you can't go ahead and sow when there's a storm going on, you will never have a harvest. I've had people go to teach in public school, say it's an awful school. Amen. I don't, I don't get an amen out of that. Amen. Anybody can teach the easy places. I've had preachers say, I got the church from hell. I said, praise God, it's going to be fun. Anybody can pastor these churches? You said, my children are demon possessed. God must like you. Anybody can raise them little zombies. <laughs> Demons, listen to me. 
I love that verse. If you stare at the clouds, you'll never sow and you'll never reap. You cannot say, mm, this could be hard. I'm not going to do anything. Go on. Get out there. Don't let the obstacles stop you from going through open doors. Don't let that happen. So what? It'll be worth it. And then what's the second barrier to opportunity? Self-doubt. I don't think I can do this. Listen to me. Yes, you can. He said, well, God, but I, I'm sitting in a meeting one day, one of the stupidest things I've ever heard a preacher say. I'm in this meeting. And he said, the Lord will never ask you to do something you can't do. I just remember thinking, he's dumb as a brick. <laughs> he is dumb as a brick. I, I ask you, those of you who've read the Bible, did God go around asking people to do things they could do? Here, feed these 5,000 without McDonald's Happy Meal. Do you think people are supposed to be able to do that kind of stuff? He told a redneck sheep herder named Moses, go take on the powerful man, most powerful man in the world and tell him you're taking his slaves and his gold. <laughs> Two million of them. Lead them to a new country. Call me if you need me. <laughs> he told Simon, walk on water. What do you mean he won't ask you to do something you can't do? I'm sitting there right over thinking, he ain't never asked me to do nothing I could do. And then I don't know whether an angel gooched him or what. He said, the Lord will never ask you to do something you can't do. He looked at me and said, isn't that right, Brother Biggers? I didn't want to mess his bad message up. It was already messed up enough. I just said, glory. That's what preachers say when they don't know what to say. <laughs> glory. <laughs> glory. I meant glory helped a boy and get us out of here. <laughs> he is always going to ask you to do stuff you can't do. Why do you think you need him? If you can do it, it ain't him. Have you ever read the Bible? He went to Moses. He said, go, go get all two million, bring them out, start a new country. And Moses goes in this rigmarole, but I can't do that. And he listened to it for a while and he said, you, you, st you start to ill me off, Moses. Go. He told Jeremiah, you're going to change the nation. Jeremiah said, I am a youth. I cannot speak. He said, do not say that. You go to all I send you. My hand will be with you. He's always wanting you to do stuff you can't do. You, you can't let self-doubt get in the way. I'd almost say something's from hell. Fear of failure. Anybody here ever struggle with fear of failure? I'm going to say something. You listen to what I'm fixing to say. Do you have any idea what the fear of failing has cost you throughout your life? Think about it. You have any idea what the fear of failing has cost you throughout your life? Let me say it another way. Do you have any idea what your life would be like if you had no fear of failing? If you would jump out there, if that, if that, golly, if that, if that wasn't on you, do you know, do you have any idea what you could do? Then was, what has the fear of failing cost us? Listen to me. Jesus said 300 times in that book right there, fear not. To jump out there, to fear not doesn't mean you don't feel it. It means you walk right into the teeth of fear saying, I will obey him if it scares me spitless. Ah, this is good. This is fun. It means you launch out there with your knees banging together so loud they can't hear the bass playing. It, I mean, you're scared to death. You march right up them steps. Yeah. Dude, listen, fear is Satan's greatest tool. It robs you of the open doors God has put in front of you. You march. How many times? I've been doing this a thousand years. I'll be in some place where it's not religious. I was in the Bass Pro Shop the other day or some store or something. And I'll, I'll just, this nudge, you get a nudge that says, 
go over and pray for them right now. And a little thought will come to my mind, in here? In here? Oh my goodness, we are missing so many open doors because we're letting the fear of failure slam them shut when Jesus pulled them wide open. Let me tell you what you're going to find out. All right, I'm going to tell my secret. Here's what you're going to find out. Fear, feel it. fear not doesn't mean don't feel it. It means don't let it stop you. God, that was good. Fear not. It don't mean you don't feel it. Naturally, you feel it. It means you don't let it tell you what to do. And let me tell you what's going to happen. That thing you're scared to death of, you go ahead and march through the door. You're going to get through the door and say, that wasn't near as bad as it made it out to be. Dang, I should have been through here years ago. Y'all look over here. Listen, fear is a lie. Tell it to go back where it came from. The fear of failure. All right. I want you to go and think about that tonight. What would my life be if I didn't fear anything? If I feared nothing. All right. Have you ever heard of risk aversion? I've heard of risk aversion. It means you don't like to take risks. If you don't like to take risks, you are not going to follow Jesus. Read it. I keep pointing back to that book. Read this book. He was always asking people to take a risk. Y'all quit amen and me. We were doing so good for a while in here. He was always telling people, step out of the boat, walk up there, do this, try that. Get out of your comfort zone. You, you can't be risk averse and go with him. You say, I might fail. Look at me. You might succeed. You will succeed if he's in it. What if you do fail? Get up and dust yourself back off and start over. Better to be like Simon Peter and be soaking wet saying, did y'all see me walk on water? <laughs> than to be like the other 11 and saying, what joy we have in this boat. Never trying nothing. What joy we have in this boat. Y'all hungry? Great blessing, follow great risks. Get out there. You gotta be willing to take the risk. I'm listening to Tommy Barnett. You know who Tommy Barnett is. One of the greatest, he may be the most accomplished pastor in my lifetime. He started out in Davenport, Iowa, wherever that is. I couldn't find it on a map. With 75 of the meanest people that ever met in his life. Tommy Barnett, he's the most creative pastor that ever lived. He would do anything to help people. He built the first mega church in America in the 70s. He had 4,000 people in that church in Davenport, Iowa. Went to Phoenix, Arizona, built the Great Dream Center there. He went to, they took him to downtown Los Angeles in the roughest hood in Los Angeles and said, won't you try a church right here? He built the Great Dream Center in downtown Los Angeles, which is the model of a life-changing church in the inner city. Now he's got dream centers all over the world where lives are being changed. I mean, he's just a world changer. I listened to him that he's 82 years old, acts like he's 35. And he said this, I have one great regret in my life. I have one great regret in my life. I didn't take more risks. I didn't try more things that were crazy. If I had it to do over again, I'd take more risks. I'd jump out there. I'd fail more often and get over it. He said, risk is where the good stuff is. Next time you're sitting in your office and somebody's got a problem and that little nudge comes and says, go over and talk to him and pray for him right here. And you go, <laughs> breathe deep, get over it and go on sister. 
Because on the way back over, you'll be going. <laughs> These are the open doors. Hey, listen, I've set before you open doors. How many open doors are we walking right by and missing the opportunity because we're scared of them? Take a risk. Oh, my goodness. I got hung up there for a minute. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to get y'all uncomfortable. Go back to sleep. <laughs> Let me quit by saying this. Getting started. How do you start going through these open doors? You saw in, you saw in the Bible, in Revelation, Jesus said, I have set before you open doors. Wonder what the doors are in front of you right now. What will they be next week? Every person. Getting started, number one. You need to decide to follow Jesus. He said, Brother Brian, I've been a Christian for years. That's not what I said. I said, follow Jesus. That means this. You make one decision. I live to help people. The driving force of my life is to help people. I, there was a lot of preachers have missed it. They think the goal in life is to learn more. I know enough now to save the world. You've been sitting in here for a year. You know more than the apostles did. I mean, know we know enough. Knowledge doesn't change people's lives. Compassion changes people's lives. Automobiles get people where they need to go. Knowledge don't get you there. Greenbacks pay medical bills. God, this is good. You've got to make up your mind. You're going to follow Jesus. I live to change people's lives. I live to help people. Some reason I get up. The reason I go to work is to help people. Center your life around Jesus and live to help people. All right, number one, you got to decide to follow Jesus. I live to help people. You need, in Isaiah chapter six, the father and the son are talking. Isaiah's standing and, and, he, and the father said, who will we send and who will go for us to help people? Do y'all remember this? Isaiah spoke up and said, how about me? He said, here am I, send me. I'm gonna tell you, God's heart is broken over the condition of this world. They're within rocks throw where you live, there are people that his heart's hurting over. You need to say, how about send me over there? Y'all know who we ought to be like? We're so stiff in these old churches. We're so dignified. You ought to be like the donkey on Shrek. <laughs> Don't remember that? Shrek said, who can I pick? Donkey said, pick me, pick me, pick me. He's jumping up and down. That's what Isaiah said. Pick me, pick, take me, send me. We ought to tell him, send me out there in that mess. Oh, listen, you got to make up your mind you want to follow Jesus. Send me. Number two. You need to believe this book and you need to expect open doors to be set in front of you. You need to believe this book and expect open doors to be set in front of you. I saw one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> sorry, I saw one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life recently. <clears throat> a while back, a minister had graduated from a seminary not far from here and he was writing a letter complaining and in anger he said, I have been out of seminary. I've got, I got my bachelor's degree in religion. I've got a master's degree in religion. I have a doctorate degree in, in whatever it is, theology or whatever. And he said, for three years, I've been waiting for an opportunity to minister and nobody's asked me. Three years. He'd been sitting on his butt in Raleigh and couldn't find nobody to help for three years. And I thought, are you deaf, dumb and blind? Who are you? You got all that education. <laughs> All that education, you live in a city of a half a million people, you can't find nobody to help. Remember that man has been educated way beyond the Bible if he can't find nobody to help in that big a crowd. Now, you know what he wants? He wants a big pulpit's what he wants. He doesn't want a chance to help somebody. I can find somebody to help in the next five minutes. God, this is good. Listen, you, you got to believe God's going to set up. You got to live your life like this. What if that's one right there? What if that's one right there? So... 
What if I give somebody some money to help them and it wasn't an open door? You get credit. They get the money. It'll work. Everything will be fine. What if I pray for somebody and it wasn't an opportunity? God have mercy. Better to err on the bless them side. I'm just telling you, I got to say this. The greatest, craziest, wildest things I've ever seen God just step down and do came out the moment I took a risk and did something crazy. I want you to know that. I want you to know how much. I want you to go out like Gomer Powell going, God, I mean, you just, that was him right back there. Now listen, he said I'd set before you open doors. You need to start believing him to do it. You just need to live your life all the time. Walmart, Food Line, Bass Pro Shop. I believe you could even help folks at church. On the highway, push come to shove. Let's just, let's just go crazy tonight. You want to go crazy tonight? We're, we're going whether you like it or not. You could help people in the house you live in. Having fun till then, weren't we? You need to begin to believe and, and just always, you need to see everything as an open door. All right, number three, listen to me. You got to understand how the kingdom of God works with this open door stuff. Tell me what the Bible says about how the kingdom works. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed. It starts out what? Tiny, tiny. But if you'll sow it, what will it do? So big it fill the house. All right. I'm a heathen. I, got, I met Jesus. I was a criminal. I'd been arrested multiple times. You know that. I've told you that. I get called to preach. And uh, praise God, I was, I was ready. I didn't know job from palms. I couldn't, find, I couldn't find the maps in the Bible. I didn't know nothing, but I was called and I was ready. And I, I told him, if Billy Graham gets the flu, I'll preach at his crusade this weekend. You just let me know. <laughs> How many of you don't start out at that level? I wanted to preach anywhere. So the first place, Brother Roberts was my pastor. First place I got to preach at was in a nursing home in Charlotte. Eight old ladies in wheelchairs. Seven of them was deaf and the other one was delirious and out of her mind. True. I don't, I don't know if they were deaf, but they were seven old ladies in a wheelchair. They were gone. I think they were still living. They were there. I reared back... I'd give anything to have the tape from that first time. I reared back. You gotta quit your sinning. You gotta quit lying. You gotta quit committing adultery. You gotta break with your sins. I preached, I stood everything out there I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> God. So they were just <laughs> but that's all I had at the time. Do you know what that was? The kingdom of heaven starts right there. You got to go through the doors. That's the only door I had. And then if you just keep jumping in there, the doors will get wider and wider. Living free ministry all the back. You know how Jay and Christy, when they came in, said, we're going to start living free. You know how they started living free? One man on drugs. Let's see if we can help him. That's where it started right there. Everything... You just start right there. One Bible study. You start opportunities. You go pray with one person. Find you one. He's been convicting me. Why don't y'all pray more? And he says, don't talk to me. You talk to me enough. Why don't y'all pray for each other more? 
He said, I just want your, all the people in your church, I want them to flood this city with prayer. I don't mean prayer over the city. I mean, walk up to people and say, what can I pray for you for? Have you, listen, let's start doing it. When you, I've been doing this 40 some years. One time in 40 years, have I had somebody say no? 90%, 90 plus percent of the time, I can tell just by saying in a gracious way, is there anything I can pray for you for? It just, something happens to people right here when you say that. You'd be surprised what they'd open up to you and tell you if you just, you know what that is? That's an opportunity, that's an open door. One time in 40 some years, I've been told no. I go in a hospital room, man hated me. And he, he went to my church, hated me. <laughs> and I tried to talk to him, but I said, well, can I pray for you? He said, no, leave. So I went outside and I closed the door and I got just as close to that door as I stood right there and I prayed for him whether he liked it or not. Just pray for one person. Just find one person to pray for. We got to start believing that, that this works greatly. Listen, do, do it by this. Start by serving one person, one. You just find one person to help. Everything starts right there, just with one person. And you need to start looking, what can I do? Just something I can do. Now, do I need to throw in here that you've never had more fun in your life then when you walk through these doors and take a risk and get scared spitless and something great happens and you've never had more fun in your life. This is more, fo this, listen, this is more fun than a goat washing on Saturday. This is a blast. I mean, this is fun right here. You know what Jesus said? My food is to do the will of my father. What had he just done? He just walked up to a woman in a Walmart and said, can I help you? And loved her and prayed for her. This is fun right here. Then it just grows. Number four, keep stretching it out. You got to keep, listen, our king never wants you to stop stretching out. If you ever reach that place where you say, well, I'm an expert and I'm in my lane and oh, we're doing great. You're dead as a rake. Nobody's notified you yet. Go ahead and notify the next to Ken. He's dead. Our king always keeps you on the edge. If you'll let him, he'll always keep you scared spitless. I love living out here. I love it. And he'll, Isaiah chapter 54 says this to everybody. Stretch out your curtain. Stretch out your tent pegs. Expand to the right and to the left. Grow and keep stretching stuff out there. Oh my goodness. We got to keep stretching stuff out. All right. <clears throat> I got a friend uh, and uh, bless her dear heart. And she, I just love her. She's just actually a little bit older than me. And she's one of them people, she's always trying something new. She loves God, wants to glorify God in everything she does. She's always starting stuff, creating stuff. And, and to be honest with you, she launches out into stuff that I just go, what are you doing now? I mean, she's 60 some years old. It's time to be walking a little tiny dog up a sidewalk saying, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? She's not giving in. She just always try. And you know, sometimes when you try new stuff, you get on the jagged edge and you're going, if he don't come through, we're sunk. But guess what? He always does at the right time. I want you to live your life a nervous wreck. <laughs> just knowing if he don't come through in five minutes, they're going to kill me. God, that's fun. It's better than snoring your way to glory. I love Celine. Let me tell you what America, America's lied to you. America tells you that life is a bell curve. We start out sucking eggs. 
In other words, we don't contribute nothing. Then we get into our productive years. And then all of a sudden you get right here and you start winding it out and flattening it out. That is not biblical. You know what the Bible says? Life is a forward slash. Always, even the moment you fall over. This is one of the things Dr. J.L. Williams hammered into me. He said, there's no retirement in the Bible and you don't just suck eggs and keep in. You ought to be growing and glowing till the day he calls you to glory. Try new things. You want to hear something crazy? You're fixing to. <laughs> Do not slow down on me just because you get old. Thank you. One of, one of, that's a young voice. I need to hear somebody say, hey, 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 man. <laughs> Listen. I'm at the age where people are pulling in their landing gear. I'm just now figuring out what to do. If y'all knew what I had planned for you, you'd fire me because I'm going to keep you in debt till Jesus gets back. We're going to grow and glow and God. Two weeks ago, we started the training we do. I think it's once a year, maybe twice a year, once a year for the leaders for small groups. That's where we do small group. For those who want to lead a small group and help people. You say, man, I can never do that. There you go again. Why will you not believe the Bible? Listen, Everybody in here can lead a small group. Start your Bible study at work. Pour your life into somebody. Well, I take that back. You need to have been saved for a while and in church for a while before you lead a small group. 90 days. <laughs> if you've got 90 days under your belt, you need to be influencing other people. All we do this small group training, first man to show up to lead a small group, Bob Dyer. Bob Dyer, 95 years old. Been married 70 some years, having to stay at home a little more and take care of his sweetheart because she needs it. He comes through the door at 95 years old, ready to start leading a small group and helping people. Oh, no, don't, you don't understand. That was a, what is your excuse? That's what that was. <laughs> 95 years old. I mean, you know, he's supposed to have them white socks propped up somewhere. <laughs> Out here trying to help people. Good gracious. I, I got to quit. All right. Question. What's out there for you? What's out there for you? What's the next door in your life? We, you saw it in scripture tonight. Here's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, will, I have set before you an open door and nobody can shut it. The door is there. The question is, you're going to go through it. What's out there for you? What if he would uh, pull your file? Got the, you know, there's a file with your name on his desk. You did know that, didn't you? I know the plans I have for you. That's what it is. Right there it is. What if you could look at that file and see what's in there? That's not how it works. You just got to take one step at a time and you've got to be willing to walk through the next door that he puts in front of you and take the next opportunity he puts out there. And uh, I'm going to say it again. You are a world changer. Everybody in this room is a world changer. You're going to change somebody's world. This world's going to be different because of somebody and you just get out there. I, I just think we need to have this mm, stretch it out. I want to do my thing. And there's something out there that I'm telling you, you're going to turn every corner and it's going to be there. And I want you to live your life. The last thing I want you to do is cruise into heaven in a recliner. There ain't no greater sin than the cruise in heaven in a recliner. Don't we go march in in white robes? No, we're not. We're going to slide in sideways, cut up, torn, battered, bruised, hollering. What a ride. What's next? That's how I want you to go. Lord Jesus, I just, I love you tonight. I, I just thank you. This is an unusual burden on my heart for people to know 
that, that you don't just call great people to do great things. Your word said, I have placed before you an open door. What does that mean? What does it mean to every person in this room that there are opportunities there? And this burns in my heart that there, for every person here, that there are opportunities still out there. The lie that uh, you messed up too bad. You don't use anybody except messed up people. And for that, I praise you. You're too old. You didn't, Moses didn't start until he was 80. I praise you and thank you for that. And you just, people just say, well, I'm not a great speaker. Your word said Moses stuttered. You just, I praise you that you used the last person on this earth if they would just say, here am I, send me. Father, I want every person in this room, I don't care if it's their first night here. I don't care if they're messed up. I don't care if they're not the greatest Christian in the world, whatever that means. I want them to know the joy of sticking their neck out there and seeing you do something to help people through them and them going, God, that was him. I pray for every person in this room to begin to look for every opportunity and, and just know the joy of life with Jesus. Thank you that, Lord Jesus, this world needs you. This world needs you, but you have dressed yourself up in me and said, now drive me around and let's help some folks. And you've dressed yourself up in every one of these people in here. And your command is not sit on the pew till I get back. It's drive me around and let's help them. I trust you for that. I want to praise you and thank you. This little old church, it was born in Hall River, North Carolina with not much going for it. I declare in Jesus' name, you will change the world through this church. Not because we're great or we're smart or we're centrally located, but because you are great and you are good and you take anything we put into your hand just like that boy's lunch and you touch thousands with it. I love you and praise you and thank you. I look forward to the next 20 years what you've planned for this place. Lord Jesus, we're just now getting our feet underneath us. Now let's run. And I declare we will stretch out to the right and to the left and expand our place here. I pray for every person in this city that's got nobody to love them, nobody to care for them. If they're hungry, if they're lonely, if they're wounded, if they're hurting, bring them to this house or we'll go out there and get them. Lord Jesus, this church can change the world because you're great. Thank you for the open doors you'll put over this house in the coming days and years and for every single person. I want everybody in this room to have those crazy God stories that you give people of what you've done through them. I trust you for that. You're wonderful. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name we pray, amen.